Well, thanks for the opportunity for uh, letting me come and share God's word with you this morning. And I'm going to start off with this story, okay? A few months ago, uh, I needed to change the brake pads on my Ford Explorer. And uh, I have spent a lot of money on that car this year. And so changing brake pads is something that I've been taught to do. Uh, Greg actually showed me how to do it. I think my dad tried to teach me when I was a kid, but I didn't pay attention. And so um, as an adult, Greg taught me how to change the brake pads on my car. And, uh, you know, so I had some success there. And then there was a time I needed to do it on a different car. So I did it on my own that time. And and changing brake pads, you know, is like simple car repair, right? and so this time I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it myself, you know, I don't need anybody's help, I know how to do this. And my wife in her loving wisdom uh, was like, are you sure you don't wanna ask my dad or Sean to come and help you out with the brake pads? And, and I was like, no, like I know how to do this, I, I got it, you know, it's gonna be okay. And so I get to work on the brake pads and it's the middle of the summer, it's like the time of the summer where it's like a thousand degrees outside for 25 days in a row or something like that. It's hot. You know, um, you know, I didn't really want to do it, but I did it because I wanted to save money, right? And, um, and so I'm working on it, and I get, you know, a tire off, get a, I think it's called a caliper off the brake, and uh, whatever the piece that has the hold, that holds the brake pads off, I get it off on one side, I go to the other side, and I'm working on the other side, and I can't get one of the bolts off for whatever reason. It was just on there super tight. And um, another thing about me and tools is that I don't like buy new tools. I don't really like tools very much and I don't keep real great care of them. And so um, uh, I just uh, was like, you know, I'm strong. I can, I can just muscle it off of there. And the more I worked on it, the more frustrated I got. And um, normally when I get frustrated with tools, I throw them or I go, why aren't you working the way I want you to? Okay, things like that. Like, like that's what's going on in my brain. And, um, and so <laughs> Lauren comes out and checks on me. And she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I can't get this bolt off. You know? And she's like, are you, do you, are you sure you don't want to call Sean? Sean has the exact same kind of car we do. We do and, and has tools and knows what he's doing and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, no, they're about to have a baby. He's got projects. I don't want to bother him. I didn't know that the whole time I'm on the doing this, Lauren's been texting Melissa, Sean's wife. Um, anyways, and apparently she goes, she called Melissa and was like, will you please send your husband over here and save our marriage? <laughs> and so I got to the point where I finally was like, fine, ask him to come over. And she's like, do you want some water or anything? I was like, no, just leave me alone. I just went and sat on the back porch by myself and tried to cool down. And I was feeling all kinds of emotions. I was feeling inadequate. I was feeling dumb. Uh, I was feeling um, like I just wasn't good enough. You know, I'm like, things in my brain are go- that are going through my brain are like, every man can change brake pads on their car, and I can't change the brake pads on my car. You know, my identity was shot at that point. And... Um, you know, Sean came over and he was very gracious and he had all the right tools and I had stripped the bolt some, which was part of the reason why I couldn't get it off. And he had the right tools to get the right leverage and to get the bolt off. And, and then as we're working on this project together, you know, he has some tools that I've never seen before. 
And uh, he pulls this one tool out uh, to like squeeze the caliper back together, I guess. And, and, uh, and I was like, I've never seen brake pads that are this meticulous before. And he goes, yeah, they don't want normal people to be able to fix the brake pads. And so I felt a little bit better about myself. At least I'm normal and Sean is extraordinary, okay? <laughs> and so uh, it took us two hours almost to get the brake pads uh, fixed on that car, which is crazy. Um, but I tell you that story because there's a lot of times in our walk with Jesus when we expect to be able to do something or we expect things to go a certain way and then they don't. And it causes us to feel inadequate. It causes us to feel insecure or maybe like you're not good enough or whatever it is and your faith is kind of shot. Well, in today's story, I'm gonna have Lauren come up and she's gonna read the story for us. Lauren's my wife if you don't know. And as you listen to this story, I believe that you will be able to kind of see how the disciples and other people that are in this story may have felt some of the same uh, emotions that I was feeling as I was trying to, trying to change the brake pads on my car. So she's gonna read the stories found in Mark 9, 14 through 29. It's a little bit long, but she's a good reader. And listen to what God wants to say to you, okay, and how uh, sometimes our faith can be shot because our emotions get in the way. Okay. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and they ran to greet him. He asked them, why are you arguing? With, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said, and many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter into him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer. Can you see how in this story, there's examples of when your faith is misplaced, you'll always battle feelings of inadequacy, incompetence, or insecurity? In this story of Jesus clean, cleansing the demon-possessed boy, 
we can see all of these different emotions in these people. And as we look at this story, I believe that God wants to tell you that he must be the object of your faith to fulfill the mission that he has given you. From today's story, we can see how, an import, how important it is to make Jesus the object of our faith and why keeping him as the object of our faith is difficult and what the results of making Jesus the object of our faith are. This morning, I wanna focus on answering these three questions. And as we answer these questions, you'll see that it's only through faith in Jesus that we can experience his power to carry out the work he has called us to do. These questions are, why must Jesus be the object of your faith? Why is keeping Jesus as the object of your faith so difficult? And what is the result of making Jesus the object of your faith? So let's look at this story together. Why must Jesus be the object of your faith? Well, first, there's something you need to understand about faith. Faith is always dependent upon the object that you're putting it in. Your faith, if it's put in the wrong object, you will be disappointed. But when your faith is in Jesus, you will never be disappointed. Every person places their faith in something every day. There's a book that um, I'm reading with some guys in my small group and Lauren's reading with some ladies in our small group called Victory Over the Darkness. And there's a quote by Neil Anderson. It says this, the truth is everyone lives by faith. The only difference between Christian faith and non-Christian faith is the object of our faith. The critical issue is what you believe or what you believe in, or who you believe in, sorry. Telling people to live by faith is invalid if they have no understanding of the object of their faith. You can't have faith in faith. Faith has no validity without an object. An example of how billions of people practice faith every day is when you're driving. Now, most of us in this room drive a car you probably drove here this morning, okay? And as you're driving, you're practicing faith and all the people that are driving around you at 65 to maybe 90 miles an hour on the highway, okay, that they are going to be safe and not hit you as you drive. When you came up to an intersection, maybe at 44th and Walker right here and your light was green, you had faith that all the other lights were red and that the people who were coming up on those red lights were going to stop. But here's the thing, that even fails. That system fails, okay? And as soon as a light malfunctions and somebody goes at the same time that you're going through the intersection and you get in a car accident, or as soon as somebody else's light is red and they decide to go through the intersection anyways and you get in a car accident, your faith in that system and in the people that are around you fails, okay? But with Jesus as the object of your faith, you don't have to worry about failure or disappointment. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he has loved you so much that despite your sin, he has come down to earth and he lived a perfect life and he sacrificed himself willingly so that you can have forgiveness and redemption of sin, so that you can have a relationship with him, and so that you can have 
eternal life. Uh, I love the lyrics that we sang, that there's um, nothing like the power of the wonder work, the wonder working power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that we are sealed by and that we have uh, the uh, eternal hope of glory in Jesus Christ in. Now Jesus has ascended and he uh, is seated forever uh, as king of heaven and earth. And he is immutable, which simply means that he doesn't change. So he's king forever. There's nothing about that that is going to change. And because he is immutable, we can have complete confidence and complete faith in who he is. He's not like an intersection where you have to practice faith that the system is actually going to work and that people are actually going to follow it. He is going to do exactly what he says, and he is exactly who he says he is. God is perfect and unchanging. As a result, we can have complete faith in who he says he is and what he says he will do. When I know this about our king, it's really easy for me to place my faith in him because who wouldn't want to follow a king like that? But life still happens. And sometimes the object of my faith, who is Jesus Christ, I can misplace my faith in other things. Why is that? Why is it so hard for us to keep Jesus as the object of our faith? That's the second question we want to answer. Well, there's three reasons I think that as we look at this story, we can see that it is difficult for us to keep Jesus as the object of our faith. And the first is that keeping Jesus as the object of our faith is difficult because we have a false idea of who Jesus is or what he has said. This is what prevented the scribes from having faith in Jesus in the first place because they had an expectation of who the Messiah would be. They were expecting a king who would come and rule on earth with uh, military power and might, and Israel would be established as uh, the, the nation of Israel would be established as God's kingdom on earth forever, like uh, was a, as will happen someday, okay? But their idea of how that would take place was false. And so when Jesus came, and he did fulfill the law, and he did fulfill the prophets, doing all that they said. But he also did things that, they didn't, that the uh, scribes didn't expect, like loving sinners or welcoming uh, parents of children who were demon-possessed. This is not something that they expected Jesus to do, the Messiah to do. And while they claimed to look at Scripture for who the Messiah would be, whenever he was right there in front of them, showing his power and his authority and doing all that the law and the prophets had said, they rejected him. Well, just like the Pharisees, I believe there are many Christians today who have a false idea of who Jesus is and what he has said he will do. Some examples of that are uh, that you might hear people say from time to time is God is gracious. So, I should extend grace to people in every circumstance. God is good, so nothing bad can really happen to me. God has given me faith, so I can move mountains. God is my provider, so I don't have to be wise with what he has given me. 
So many times we take truths from God's word and we twist them to what we want God to be or what we want him to do. This shows that our faith has shifted from being on Jesus to being on ourselves. The second reason it's hard to keep Jesus as the object of our faith is because confusion, discouragement, and inadequacy enter our minds. In this story, the disciples are a great example of this. I'm sure that whenever the father came and was looking for Jesus so that he could cast the demon out of his son, and Jesus wasn't there, he was on top of the mountain with Peter, James, and John, they probably were like, we can handle this. You know, Jesus has taught us exactly what to do in this situation. And he hadn't just taught them how to practice authority over demons, which was part of the mission that he had given them. Okay, he had actually released them before to go and fulfill that mission, and they had been successful in doing that. But this was different. They did, they probably, I imagine they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They followed all the steps to, to, the, to the point, okay? And uh, it didn't work. And that probably con- created some confusion. Um, it probably, I would have been discouraged, okay? I would have felt inadequate in that moment. And then you have the scribes who are just waiting to pounce on little brother, you know, like, ha, you know, you thought you could do this, but I guess Jesus lied after all, after all because it didn't work for you this time. So he must not be the Messiah if he's a liar. And as they're arguing, doubt and confusion enters their mind. I'm sure that they probably thought, why am I not able to do this? Like, they probably thought, started thinking about their ability to do things. But the reason that they had been able to practice authority over demons before was not because of their ability, but because of God's ability working through them. Can you relate to how the disciples felt? Here's an example that is probably very relevant for our church, okay? Because we're a disciple-making church, and we believe that everybody has a part to play, okay? And and someday our hope is that each person is equipped to lead a small group, okay? But maybe you've led a small group, or maybe you're leading a small group, and uh, you're doing everything that you've been taught to do, okay? You're casting vision. You go through the curriculum exactly how you're supposed to. You do the small group rules. You do all these things, right? And you've had uh, the best training that you can possibly get to lead the small group and be successful. But the culture is just not right in your group. People aren't really transparent. You don't really see spiritual growth taking place. It's been six to eight months and you haven't had any new people come and visit your group, okay? And you're like, am I really being successful in doing this? Is this really what I'm supposed to do? And you start to feel confused and inadequate or, uh, you know, like, maybe, maybe God does, doesn't want to bless the work that I'm trying to do in obedience to him. All those feelings. That, that can create confusion and inadequacy. I know that I've been there, I've done that, and experienced it, okay? Um, and maybe it's not leading a small group for you, okay? Not everybody in here has done that. But maybe it's just being free from sin. Maybe it's whatever addiction that it is that you've struggled with for over 20, 25 years. 
Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's drugs or alcohol. Uh, maybe it's simple things. I mean, things that don't seem as big, but like maybe it's gossip or slander, okay? Um, all these things can cause us to feel like we are inadequate, that we are con- like God doesn't want good things for us. Sorry, I got lost in my notes. Okay. Whatever it is, okay, here we go. Placing your faith in a system, okay? If you're trying, trusting a system to overcome those things, trusting that system or your own ability is a trap. You'll be disappointed every time. The third reason it's hard to keep Jesus as the object of your faith is because you don't know Jesus and what he's capable of as much as you thought he did. You can see this in the father when he brings his son to Jesus. The father told Jesus that his disciples were unable to cast this demon out from the boy. And when the boy was brought to Jesus, he, the demon did its thing. He fell on the ground. He was writhing in pain. He was gnashing in his teeth and foaming at the mouth. And I'm sure that the father's just like, I don't think anybody is able to, I don't know if anybody's able to do this. I believe Jesus is the Messiah, and as the Messiah, he should be able to, but uh, maybe he's not willing to. Maybe Jesus isn't willing to heal my boy. He could have felt like he was unworthy of being offered this gift. Can you relate to the feeling of unworthiness that the Father may have felt? Because you know that you know that Jesus is the Messiah. You've professed him as Lord, but you don't really believe that you've been freed from sin as a result of salvation. You don't really believe that he loves you or has called you, uh, that he loves you enough to call you his child. You don't really believe that he wants good things for you and that he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. Maybe you don't believe that he wants to use you for the advancement of his kingdom. And despite these feelings, you just hope that he has compassion on you. You hope that he has compassion on your family. Your faith can only be as strong as the knowledge of the object that you're placing it in. If you don't know Jesus well, then your faith is going to be weak and easily shaken. But God is good. I love the response that Jesus gives the Father as he, in response to him, okay? He says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Jesus' response stirred up the Father, and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. He made a conscious decision in his mind to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that he would do what he said he would do, but he also recognized that his flesh was causing him to doubt. It was his flesh that was interfering in his faith, and as a result, his faith was in the wrong object. This is really important for us to understand. The only faith that is sufficient for healing is faith in the power of God. Hebrews 12, 
1 through 2 says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. When life gets hard, it is essential that you place your faith in Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And he set the example of what to do when life is hard. You look to him in the eternal glory that you will experience him someday when it's time for, your, for you to be with him and receive the reward that you will receive. He wants to use you in whatever circumstance that you're in. Fix your eyes on him and he will set you free from sin by the power of the Holy Spirit and you will accomplish the work that he has given you to accomplish. Which leads to our third question. What is the result of making Jesus the object of your faith? The result is that you're free from sin and death forever. And he's empowered you to do his work. I think my favorite part of the story is when Jesus looks at the boy to cast the demon out. He says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out, he convulsed him terribly and it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. This is, an incredible, this is incredibly symbolic of what happens when we die to ourselves and we make Jesus the object of our faith. He has freed you from the condemnation of sin and death. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You can have complete, complete faith that this is true because you know who Jesus is. As creator and sustainer of the universe, he has willingly sacrificed his life for you so that you don't have to be in bondage to sin anymore. And it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You must walk in this truth without doubting, and he will establish your, your steps so that he can accomplish his work through you. And that work is that you become a disciple maker, that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of, in the, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold... I am with you always. When Jesus is the object of your faith and he commands you to do something, he's your king. And so you just simply say, yes, I'll go do that. And you don't go on based on your own ability. You don't go based on the system or whatever methods you've been taught. You go by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you to accomplish the mission through you. You participate 
in group here at Together Church, discipleship mostly happens through groups, so you participate in group. You find people who are willing to help you stay focused on Jesus. And when you get to the point where you've, what you've learned isn't working, you find people who are a little bit ahead of you to help you out. Or you pray to Jesus and you seek his counsel for what you should do next. You know, sometimes I think it's easy to look at the disciples and just think, man, they were so dumb. You know, it's like, why wouldn't they turn to Jesus and pray? Okay? At the end of the story, they ask Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? Like, what did we do wrong? And Jesus simply says, this, this kind can only be cast out by, through prayer. You know, it's easy to think the disciples are dumb, but sometimes we are too. Okay? When we don't make Jesus the object of our faith, we find ourselves faltering, just like we see the disciples struggle at times. But God shows us what we should do when our faith is failing. We should look to him. He may want to show you a greater way to practice faith. He probably just wants to grow your faith in whatever circumstance it is. And he's given you an incredible gift. He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as you abide in him, we've heard about abiding a lot today, okay, as you abide in him, then he will empower you to do his work. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, this isn't like something that, uh, like if you abide in the Spirit, it doesn't happen. No, it's going to happen. As you walk with Jesus, you will be witnesses of Jesus no matter where you go. What an incredible opportunity that you have to serve the king. You have the privilege and the responsibility to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And he has equipped you with everything that you need. When you keep him as the object of your faith, you will be able to fulfill the mission that he has given you. You know, Brandon <laughs> mentioned earlier that uh, this is something that's personal for me, and it is. Because insecurity, confusion, doubt is something that I've struggled with really all of my life. Um, most people don't really think that, I guess, about me, but that's just because of the Holy Spirit. Um, as a kid, I lived to please my parents. I lived to please whoever it was, okay? That was an authority of mine. Um, I was good at basketball, okay? And, uh, and really, up and through my sophomore year, like, there was no doubt that I was one of the better players on the team. But then things happened, and all of a sudden, I wasn't playing, you know, and those things really shook my confidence. Um, I, in my class, like, I went to a private school, okay, and I love the school that I went to. My kids go there now, okay? My wife teaches there, CHA, it's great, it's awesome. Send your kids there. Um, but, uh, you know, there were just things that happened socially that were difficult, okay? Um, I was made fun of a lot. Um, you know, I, I just kind of like made decisions that 
maybe a typical teenager doesn't make. Like I was like, I'm not going to date because I think it's stupid to date in high school. All it ends up is, is ends up in is broken relationships, and so that resulted in uh, some, you know, uh, things being said, and uh, all those things combined just kind of it really made me struggle with finding confidence in who I was and, and who God had made me to be, okay? And my family was awesome through all of that. They always supported me. Um, but it was still difficult, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, growing up, uh, you know, one, one of my bosses told me one time, <laughs> he goes, Britt, you're pretty much good at everything. You're not bad at anything, but you're not great at anything either. <laughs> and Brandon's over here shaking his head like, yep. No. <laughs> no, I'm cheesy. But, um, you know, so I'm just like your average Joe, right? And I kind of know that about myself. Like, I know there's not like, I'm not like extraordinary at anything. I don't really think that way of myself. Um, and there, there are times, okay, whenever those emotions from my younger years, okay, uh, rise up in me. One of those times was when I was trying to change the brake pads on my car, okay? Because I felt really insecure in that time. Like I was, <laughs> you can ask Lauren all the things they said, okay? And, um, and all that insecurity just kind of welled up in me, okay? But when that happens, it's because I'm taking my faith and placing it in something other than Jesus Christ. What has enabled me to do what I do, to even stand up here and speak in front of you, which uh, the first time I spoke, spoke in front of people, I would have been doing this the whole time, okay? Like, not comfortable with it, okay? But over time, I've learned to place my identity in Jesus Christ, and I've learned to make him the object of my faith. And that even if, even if I was Craig Rochelle, who's one of the most gifted speakers in the world, that it's not my ability that causes him to work through me. It's just my submission. It's my willingness. And it's just obedience to him. And so this morning, the question is, will you make Jesus the object of your faith? Nothing more, nothing less. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you need to do that today, I hope that you do. There's nothing that would bring me more joy or our church family more joy than for you to make Jesus the Lord of your life and to make him the object of your faith and see what he does because he'll do things in your life that you never imagined. He'll bring you greater joy than you could ever have. Maybe you are a disciple of Jesus, okay? And... Uh, you're in a place where you're stuck, okay? And you've been placing your faith in all the wrong things. You've done all the programs. You've done, uh, you've done all the right things here at church, okay? Or at least you think you have. And, and you're just not finding the freedom from sin that you wanted. You know, your marriage is struggling. You're not the kind of parent that you want to be. You uh, aren't the friend that you want to be. You're not growing in Christ the way that you want to. All those things, okay? Today, recognize that you've been putting your faith in all the wrong things. And today, you have an opportunity to refocus and to make Jesus 
the object of your faith again. Because that's what he wants. He just wants you to look to him, the author and perfecter of your faith. So I'm going to pass things over to Pastor Brandon, and he's going to do the invitation for us today. Thank you so much for allowing me to have this opportunity. Would you stand for our time of response here? And I just want to ask you as you're standing just to bow in prayer. I'm going to ask you to just be honest about your response here. Tom Hill told us earlier today that he's learned that when the Holy Spirit asks you to do something, to be quick, to not give our enemy and your flesh the opportunity to slow you down. Here's what I imagine in a room this size. I bet there's some people who know the Lord has been asking me to do something. In fact, it probably just came to mind as soon as I said that. Make a disciple, share your faith with somebody, volunteer in some way, serve somebody in some way, maybe as simple as send a text, make a phone call to somebody. How about forgive somebody? How about be honest about some sin issue in your life? How about be faithful in giving and to give joyfully and cheerfully? The Lord's been asking you to do something, maybe many somethings, but there's been a hangup for you. I like what Britt said. I could have all the ability in the world and it wouldn't make any difference. He's just looking for willingness. He just wants me to say, I'll do what you asked me to do. I'll follow you. Could I ask this question with our heads bowed and eyes closed? Would you just say right now, honestly, if you know that there's something the Lord's been asking you to do, but you've had a hang up and you haven't done it yet, would you just put your hand up and say, yep, that's me. There's something I'm supposed to be doing. I see those hands. I see several hands. I see several hands. Can I just pray for you right now? Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you embolden these individuals to do the work you are calling them to do? To not put it off any longer, but right now, even as the service closes, that they take those first steps towards a decision of obedience, that they do not allow inadequacy or insecurity or self-doubt to interfere with your power and your plan for their life. Now continue to pray. And I want to ask this question. Britt's on one side. I'll tell you my struggle. Now, the Lord's humbled me on this in many, in many ways over the last several years. But I tell you, throughout my life, there's been many things I've been overconfident about. I, I've thought higher of myself than I should have, that it was my work, my effort, my intentionality that was going to produce the fruits. I wonder if there's anyone in this room right now who could relate to my side of this struggle with faith. Could you say, I put too much power or confidence in my own strength, in my own power. Would you raise your hand if that's you? If you know, yeah, I struggle with pride in that way. Now, could I just ask you right now to stir your faith again and to say, Lord, if anything good happens, it's you. It's not me. It's you and me. Lord, I pray for these individuals that raised their hand just now for a spirit of humility to fall on them like they've never known before. Lord, that through humility and putting their faith in you, that they would just 
yield themselves afresh to be used by you in whatever way you see fit. Now I have one more response. For these disciples, they had been casting out demons. They had been doing the work of ministry and then all of a sudden they just hit this hiccup in today's story that had to, had to be frustrating in many ways. And how easy would it be, can you relate, that in that moment of frustration, just to say, well, I just must not be doing this right, or I must, this must not be me. I'm not cut out for this. I might as well just give up. I must be in the wrong job. It wouldn't be this hard if God was really in it. When the truth of scripture speaks the exact opposite, that it's through the trials and the testing of our faith that he perfects us and, and grows us. Is there anyone in this room right now who would say, I'm in a trial and I felt the temptation to give up? If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, yep, I can relate to that. I'm in a trial and I felt that temptation to give up. Can I just pray over you right now, Lord, would you honor, Lord, would you honor that acknowledgement? Just lifting our hands before you to say, God, we need you. Lord, we need you in our lives that we can't do this apart from you, but we trust you and we choose right now to put our faith in you again, that we, that through the testing of our faith, you're going to accomplish your plans in our lives. So Lord, I pray for the person who's in the trial, who feels that urge or that tendency to give up. Lord, affirm to them once again that you're in it, that they would not give up anything that you've called them to do but they would put their faith in you and overcome those feelings of inadequacy. I just want us to close with a time of singing because I will remind you of this and you can look up at me. You will fail. You will make mistakes. No one in this room executes to perfection but he will not fail. And when you are living and walking and abiding in him, you can trust that even when things get shaky around you and it looks like you're not finding success and you're battling with insecurity and doubt and inadequacy, that if you'll put your faith in Jesus again and just say, Lord, here I am. Lord, I don't know what to do with this mess. I'm in a mess, God. I don't know what to do or how to fix this, but if I put my faith in you, Lord, I cannot fail. And it may not look like what you've imagined. Britt talked about that. Oh, we get this false version of Jesus and his plans in our minds. And we think that if we don't live up to that standard, that's failure. But so, so often he just says, child, trust in me. Find peace in me. In the midst of this storm, it doesn't look like how you thought it was going to look, but I'm in it. Trust me, I will not fail. Stoplights will fail, drivers will fail, changing brake pads, he may fail, but he will not fail when he calls you to do a work and you put your faith in him to see that work through. So let's just remind our souls of that as we close the service today.